Praise the Lord. All right, well, uh, as I think most of you know, I just spent kind of a marathon series talking about uh, pride and humility in the series that I did called Greater Grace. I went uh, 13 weeks on that, and then uh, uh, last week I did another teaching, um, Contending for the Faith, that was in response to the Roe versus Wade outcome, so praise the Lord for that. We got more work to do, though, so that's what that teaching was about. If you haven't heard it, go back and, and take a listen on the website to that. You know, I try to be proactive. It's very common for pastors to burn out. Did you know that? Very common for pastors to get burned out and fried. And I try to be proactive. But I feel, if I feel like I'm like, oh, not quite as energetic or not quite as motivated as I was, I try not to let that go too far. So I've asked Brent to fill in for me today. So he's graciously agreed to do that. So yeah, praise the Lord. Um, so Brent, where are you, brother? Oh, there you are. Come on down. So let's pray over him real quick. Father, I thank you for my brother and his faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, that he has labored over this word for the last week, and I pray that it would bear much fruit today. I pray that as he opens his mouth, you would fill it with words of life, Lord. And I pray that those words would not uh, fall to the ground void, but they would accomplish the purpose for which they are sent, that they would hit their target, O oh Lord. I pray that you would give us, your people, ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts and minds that comprehend and understand what the Spirit is about to say to the church through this man and through your word. So I pray, Lord God, that uh, you would help us to be not just hearers of your word, but doers thereof. Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray and thank you in advance. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. And I'm going to move some things around here because I'm a little high maintenance and I come with stuff. Is that okay? It's okay? All right, and uh, we learned from uh, last week with a little bit of the glitches that can happen that it's always good to have a backup plan, so nothing like ink and paper, right? Okay, so, so great. And we get rolling here today. I want to um, start today with the reflection, as Pastor mentioned, he's been on a marathon series, and I can tell you that we often use the word wrestling when it comes to uh, preparing God's Word and delivering God's Word. And so, given that this is wrestling, I am grateful that you've chosen me as your tag team uh, when you needed to tag out for a bit. So, thank you for the privilege of speaking here today. Thank you. All right. In this recent series, it's been very impactful. And um, I am sure that Samara's message to the pastor in light of the series that we're seeing here may be reflective of your own sentiments. Samara wrote the pastor concerning this. She said, thank you for your teaching on pride. I know it's a message not too many people like to hear. Honestly, my own pride stings a little after some of those sermons, but that's the point. Thank you so much for not sugarcoating the message and sharing God's Word with a loving genuine heart. Well, I've lost, there she is. And that speaks to, um, that speaks to the right response or the, what, what is right in the sight of God at the understanding, at the listening and the receiving of his word. There are four elements there that Samara expressed 
right off the bat, it was gratitude. Thank you is always a right response to God's Word. Samara demonstrated a threefold form of awareness. First, um, she was aware that it's a hard truth, that it can sting. She was aware, secondly, um, that it is only brought to us because of the courage and the dedication of our studious pastor who labors over Scripture and, and is faithful and obedient to God in his service of teaching the flock. And her third form of awareness is that that message that he spoke to everyone applies to her. And that is the right response in the sight of God. Samara demonstrated that awareness with her confession. It stings a bit, she said. There are uh, parts of the sermon that stung a little bit. But you know, God's discipline is His evidence that He loves us as sons and daughters, so praise His holy name. And lastly, Samara demonstrated a wholesale belief in the Word of God. And that will open our message today. Uh, so this recent uh, sermon series was powerful. And it had a considerable impact on me. I, it had an impact on my family. It had an impact in the men's group. As I can bear witness, it, it is having its work and continued work. But we cannot be content with just the first fruits. And we cannot be content with just the head knowledge. We have to keep on hearing it by living it. And God's Word especially a powerful series on pride and humility, demand that response from all of us. One, a response that is right in the sight of God. Let's, uh, let's all stand and honor God in the reading of His Word. Our master text today is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5, and 11, uh, 5 through 11. The Word of God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. You may all be seated. Thank you. By the world's standards by the world standards. Humility is often thought of as wimpy, inactive, ineffective, impotent. But such a notion of humility, according to the Bible, is a lie and a deception from the pit of hell. The only definition of humility that matters is the one that is right 
in the sight of God. And just as God's word is living and active, biblical humility is also living and active. It's far from being wimpy or impotent. The biblical brand of humility has the potential to unleash the power of God on this earth. Biblical humility, therefore, believes God. You know, the Bible describes humility and it portrays humility in several ways through dozens of characters. But rather than seeking a simple definition of humility, let's suffice it to say that biblical humility believes God's word. Pastor Mark Owings of the Faith Victory Church has said, he says it this way, humility, he says, believes God. Pride does not. And I think that makes a fine working definition, having read through all of the examples and seeing how the working is in my own life. My train wrecks have always resulted when I stepped off of God's Word. Never when I was staying in God's Word, but I always stepped off, even if just a little bit. But believing God is a demonstration of biblical humility. Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. When Jesus came, he said that the work of God is this, to believe in the one God has sent. Jesus came for our sin. Sin is a treason for which Christ died to set us free. But there is no freedom without faith. Stubborn unbelief is the ultimate act of treason in the sight of God after what He has done uh, through His Son Jesus. Humility believes God in the one that God sent. Pride. Pride does not. You know, reading God's Word should instill us with a sense of humility. Why is that? Well, the reason is that God's Word is alive. And when we read God's Word, what we find out is it reads us like a book. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even unto the dividing of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. I don't know about you all, but in my generation, my age, it's good to get a physical check. And I uh, went in for a full medical exam. And I can tell you everything uh, that I am humble about was uncovered and exposed before the examiner. It's a humbling experience because as a humiliating, let's say, as that may have been, 
I am so glad she couldn't read my mind. And the things that I have thought in my life. You know, when we believe God's word, we realize that God can read our minds. And his word, his word, reading his word is like the mirror that reflects our deepest thoughts and our intentions and our desires. We would probably all die of shame if our thoughts were plastered on the billboards between here and Indy. Isn't that true? Yeah. We have a thousand reasons to be humble and not one reason to be proud. But praise God through our humble belief in the living Word of Jesus Christ, God has removed our junk from us as far as the east is from the west. And He does it in a simple act of humble obedience and belief to the living Word of Jesus Christ and to the written Word, the Holy Scripture that we have right so abundantly with us here in the United States. The simple and humble act of belief in God's Word is the unleashing and the cleansing and the saving power in our lives. Praise God's holy name. And thank you, Lord Jesus. One theme that uh, Pastor had developed in his recent sermon series was the symptoms of pride. And that caused a lot of squirming. At first I thought it was just me, but I looked about and it... You know, you could see a lot of motion, and uh, I used to find a comforting place. I was sitting over here, and I'd look up that way and make sure I wasn't getting eye contact, <laughs> and hoping, hoping that when he said a certain symptom, he didn't go like that. <laughs> right, Brent? Yeah. Because, I, sorry about that. I think we all get a sense that like God's Word can read, read our mind. When we hear God's Word from the pastor, it's like, the pastor can read my mind too. I've got nowhere to go. I'm trapped. But one theme that he developed recently was um, the symptom is that pride insists on doing things its own way. Yeah, okay. I'm guilty as charged. Here, get out of the way. Let me show you how to do it. Right? All right. But doing things your own way when it comes to the handling of God's word is very dangerous. It's a dangerous thing to, to, to say, I'm going to take this and do it my way without the community of Christ and without your pastor and the leadership of godly people in your lives that are, that are also entrenched and deep and committed to that word. So, one symptom, I've said it, I'm guilty of this, um, Probably not so long ago, actually. And from time to time. A symptom of handling God's word your own way is usually shows up this way. Well, you know what? This verse means this to me. And that, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying that that might be a symptom of something else. And definitely God has a unique personal relationship with you. And He does with each and every believer. And He will work out His Word in you differently than He works His Word out in me. But God's Word is written on the pages. is for everyone. It means what God intends it to mean. It also 
um, true that we all have our own unique backgrounds and our own unique experiences. And because of that, some passages are going to resonate with you and connect with you in a deep way that it might not connect with your, your neighbor or somebody else in your midst. And that's the way it works. But if we find ourselves constantly saying what it means to me, then it could be that we're focused too narrowly on a part of God's Word as opposed to looking more broadly at the, the whole of God's Word. So each verse or passage of God's Word is intended to be read in the light of the other verses and passages that are in God's Word. Picking and choosing some parts at the expense of the other parts of Scripture is a slippery slope that is greased with pride. God inspired every word of the Bible. The humble response is to read them all. That is right in the sight of God. Now praise God this morning, here in America, in this room, Bibles are abundant. We can connect up on the, on the internet. Bibles are abundant, they're accessible, they're affordable, and they're legal. Yeah. Hey, let's go ahead and praise God. With we have every opportunity to bathe and be in the sauna of God's Word on a daily basis. We can pamper ourselves in it. It's abundant. Halfway across the world. Whole churches may only have a handful of Bibles, no internet access, or maybe even just pieces of Bibles for the entire congregation. What do you think their reaction would be if suddenly every member of a church like that received a full copy of God's Word to call their very own? We know the answer. They would read that book like there was no tomorrow. Biblical humility believes God's Word. Believing God's Word requires that we know what it says. Humbling ourselves to read it is the right in the sight of God. But there's more. The, the, the biblical humility doesn't just believe God's Word. Belief is the beginning. Biblical humility acts on God's Word. Now the concept of an active humility appears counterintuitive at first blush, but then so does I walk by faith and not by sight. But then again, so does life will come from death. So God's Word is often a counterintuitive at a first blush. The love of God and the power of God are released through biblical humility in acts of service for others in the name of Jesus Christ. A biblical humility acts on God's word by taking actions 
in service of others in the name of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And do you ever think about the absolutism in that language? How, how many should look not to his own interest? Everyone. Everyone. Nobody got excluded. Everyone should look to the interest of somebody else. But by doing that, nobody is excluded because somebody's got to be looking out for your interest if that's the way the functioning church works. But maybe it's for lack of humility that we don't see it more. Biblical humility acts on God's Word, and God's Word says for us in humility to look after the needs of others. You know, to look after someone's needs is, a, is an action. It's not a passive situation at all, is it? It's an action. So, what also seems counterintuitive is that pride asserts itself in the absence of humility. I know that might seem counterintuitive, but let's think of it this way. Just like darkness encroaches on the absence of light, you know, darkness has nothing in and of itself. It only needs for light to go away in order for the darkness to have a place to come forward. You know, cold has no power in itself. It only comes forth in the absence of heat. Pride asserts itself in the absence of biblical humility. Pride asserts itself. It grows in the absence of biblical humility. It comes forth. It stands. It advances in the wake, in the absence of biblical humility. You know, Jesus washed feet to demonstrate true humility um, tends to the most basic needs of other people. The most basic needs of other people. Don't wait to be asked or prompted. Actively seek some feet that need washing. There are plenty of them. If you're not engaged in service to others, then pride might be lurking nearby. And I can tell you from experience, it desires to have you. But you can rule over it in the authority of Jesus Christ by a simple, humble act of service to somebody beside yourself. Praise God. Biblical humility acts on God's Word. And to say it another way, biblical humility takes action. Now, that would say it requires action, but it also prompts itself, to, to, it spurs itself to take action. Biblical humility takes action, and the book of James is most clear, probably of all passages that I'm aware of, the book of James is most clear when it comes to biblical humility taking action. If you have your Bible or device ready, I'm going over to James chapter 2. 
Um, I'm going to pick up on chapter 1, verses 22. Um, and j- you can just follow along, and I'll call, I'll call them out as I get to them, okay? James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, you are deceiving yourself. Self-deception is an outworking of pride. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, you are deceiving yourselves. Pure, verse 27, chapter 1, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you tells him, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but does not provide for his physical needs, what good is that? So too, faith by itself, if it does not result in action, is dead. That is an act of faith. Godly humility is not passive or impotent. It gets out of its own comfort zone and it invests its own resources and even takes personal risks. True humility inserts itself into the needs of others. It speaks up and stands up against tyranny. It rushes to the aids of those whose lives were ravaged by tornadoes and hurricanes. Biblical humility counsels unwed mothers. It goes into prisons. It goes into prisons with the keys of freedom in Jesus Christ. And even though their body might remain locked behind a cell, they've been set free forevermore by the act of a humility of a free person who walks inside the bar to meet with the prisoner to give them the keys to the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. That's an act of humility. And it's an act of internal importance. True humility, like God's Word, is living and active. It's vibrant and effective because it's rooted in the Word and the will of God Almighty, whose name is on every good deed. You know, another way to frame up this conundrum or this counterintuitive thought of a passive, um, or I'm sorry, of an active humility, a humility is, is active, is the thought that doing nothing is a sure way of regretting something. I could tell you my own stories, and I'm looking about, and I can see your stories too. You know, the older you get, the more profound the statement and this thought becomes. Why didn't I? I could have. I wish I had. And I think the, one of the most impactful examples of what this means comes from Charles Dickens' classic Christmas carol. In a scene, Jacob Marley, the ghost of Scrooge's partner, he pulls back the curtain on a supernatural scene. And Scrooge looks down, and there's a homeless 
woman with a baby, and it's snowing. And all of these spirits are hovering around her, trying to comfort her, but they cannot because they have no body. And she can't, she's not aware that they're there. And they're wailing, wanting to help her. That scene, if you have a heart, will pierce it. Surrounding her with spirits of the dead who long to help. And the thought that they cannot tortures them. You know, intervening for others in an act of humility, but failing to do so must be rooted in pride. It must be. But somehow, not believing that God expects us, everyone, to act on the needs of someone else. There's another saying, and I think you're probably familiar with this one too, that if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. You know, when you invest your time and your labor and resources in a cause in the name of Jesus, you've opened a treasure chest. And the treasure that you find is your brother or your sister and the high calling of serving in the kingdom of God. That's where your treasure is. And when you do that action, someone's needs are met and the seeds of the gospel are planted and you receive more treasure because you receive a deeper sense of the loving and giving nature of God. The more you give, the greater the results are for the receiver and for the giver. Godly humility is living and active. It manifests the power of God. There is no place for pride to hide. So it flees. It flees in the act of kindness. And this is right in the sight of God. Obedience and faithfulness to your calling are a required standard of biblical humility. The 19th century missionary and pastor and author of over 30 books, including his 1884 classic, Humility, The Journey Toward Holiness, Andrew Murray, he said, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Matthew 16, 24. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Philippians 2, 7 through 8. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Pride must die, and the only way to kill it 
is by getting off the throne that we make for ourselves and by placing Jesus on the throne of our heart. Yet we still have this situation. And it's one I empathize with. I've been in this place and I move maybe in and out of this place. And I've probably talked to you, Pastor, about it in recent days. We still hear people say, well, I used to have a calling or I haven't found my calling. And that's okay. You know, that, that happens. And we must trust God and commit ourselves to God and He will lead us to that place. You know, sometimes, it happened to me at, at times, um, it's like the prophet Elijah. Do you remember Elijah got into this big contest with the prophets of Baal? And all of Elijah's ministry, he had been fighting false religion. He had been in the face of kings and queens. And now it's showdown time. All his life he had a calling. Well, from the time God made him a prophet, he had a calling. And one day, he annihilates all the prophets of Baal and calls fire down from heaven. Well, okay, that's a mic drop situation. Boom. Now what? I just fulfilled all my calling that I know about. He had to go off on a journey, didn't he? He went off to a place and he got with God. But you know, sometimes the end of one calling just means that God now certifies you for your next calling. You know what? Elijah found out he had a next calling. A noble one. Instead of casting down the prophets of Baal, who by now have just all been wrecked, God called Elijah to a higher calling of anointing kings and prophets of God. And if you're in that place, that place of transition, God is with you. Everything you've done has prepared you for everything that you're going to do in the service of God. And only you will be able to touch the lives that God puts in your path in the way, the effective way that God needs them to be touched. You're His instrument. You're His instrument through acts of obedience and faithfulness to whatever calling that God has given you. And you know, when you're in those in-betweens, there's still plenty that needs to be done. Right now, I hear Jesus say, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I'm thinking about Roe versus Wade. There's a harvest coming. There's a harvest coming for God. And these women who are going to choose and the, the, the avenue that the law used to have for them to be deceived is closing, praise God. But the harvest, that harvest is plentiful. And the workers are all over the place. They just need a humble act of obedience to stand up and stand in that spot. And you know, whole ministries have begun with one simple act of obedience and faithfulness to God. I know there are, 
or, or Christian ministers, men and women around the world that said, I had no idea this was going to happen. But they took, they stood out and they took a chance. And, and, and lastly, you know, nobody is exempt from the commission that Jesus said, you are to be the light of the world. And when he said that, he didn't say you like talking to Bob. He said you, all the people within the sound of his voice. Signing up with Jesus is signing up for service. And if you're in the middle of your calling, there's still the one thing that you can do, and that's to be a light, because there was no exemption clause on be a light. Be a light for Jesus. To not be a light for Jesus is to be hiding your light. And we know, he said, do not put your lamp under a bowl. So failing to be a light for Jesus must be a pride position. The biblically humble position is faithful and obedient. Andrew Murray, again. Andrew Murray also said that humility is true nobility. Humility is your true nobility. James 1.9 The brother in humble circumstances should exult in his position. And there's the opposite of that too. The brother in um, abundant circumstances should be humble in his low position. But they really are saying the same thing if you think about that. Philippians 2.9 God exalted Jesus to the highest place. Humility is true nobility. It's, it's God's paradox way. But exaltation comes through service and it comes through humility. Now at this point, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I had to check and make sure I was telling the truth there. I think that's right. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass. I truly don't. Um, but at this point in the message development, God puts, you know, he, he works in different ways, and he put Juanita on my heart. And this, and this, to this point, you know, I've been in this uh, wonderful church family for two years, and that entire time, Juanita has faithfully served everybody who enters this room. She comes in early on Sundays to see that we have an ample supply of snacks and teas, coffees, water, that everything's set out on time, that it's displayed nicely, and that it's warm and it's inviting. It spurs conversations. It, it's a place where people shake hands and hug one another and smile and talk about what happened during the week and what, what their dreams and hopes are. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice nook that she's made back there. But you know, she has to be up early on Sundays, probably earlier than most, and she has to be at her post 
early. And I'm sure it's tempting to want to sleep in, but she considers the needs of others, our needs, greater than her own. She rarely misses a Sunday. Other times, um, over, over time, others have joined her. Other people, Tammy and uh, Teresa and Patty, have joined Juanita's work. And they've patterned themselves after what Juanita got started. And all these ladies that I just mentioned, all of them do this without grumbling or drawing attention to themselves. If they all didn't show up one day, we would know it. And I don't go on strike. The one simple act of loving service on the part of one person has become a part of this ministry and it has become a ministry in its own right. And I think that deserves a round of applause. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Biblical humility is wholly and radically sold out on God's will and purpose. Holy and radically sold out on God's will and purpose. There is no other example that will outdistance the example of Jesus Christ for anything as it pertains to humanity. Jesus is our chief example for how a human lives out genuine humility in the sight of God. But God's Word speaks on its own, just from the Gospel of John. Note these. These are quotes from Jesus, only from just a few chapters from one book. The Son can do nothing by Himself. That's the Son of God talking. The Son can do nothing by Himself. I do not seek my own will. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. My teaching is not my own. It comes from Him who sent me. He who sent me is with me. I always do what pleases Him. Wow! And these... These are just a few chapters from John, the rest of the Gospels, and even the prophecies about Jesus before His incarnation, they all complete the picture of the Son of God as a man wholly and radically sold out on the Father's will and mission. This is right in the sight of God. If we are to live right in His sight, then I say, let's go for it. Let's, let's get radical for Jesus. Go with me one last time. This is the winding down. But I would like for you to, to look at these words with me because I'm going to 
do a little bit differently. I'm going to read a couple of verses and then I'm going to back the track up and read something that came before it. So a little bit out of sequence, but I think you'll get the point. All right, um, Philippians chapter 2. Read with me verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask the pastor to come up and close here in just a bit, but before I do, I just want to leave with this. Paul beseeched the church in Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 1. He said, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You know, if we throw our own will and desire, if we throw our time and energy, our motives and intentions on the altar of God in a radical obedience to Jesus Christ, whatever pride may be there, God will kill it. And we will be set free to humbly live right in His sight. Pastor, thank you for the privilege of being able to speak to your people today. Praise God. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, brother. That was, that was good. You know, I, I like the emphasis that, uh, I'm going to close here in a minute. I'm not going to make my comments prolonged, but the emphasis uh, I like that Jesus is our example of humility. Jesus was the example of you, the ultimate example of humility, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, it says. Even to the point where just prior to his execution, his crucifixion on the cross where Jesus must have been wrestling with so many emotions. He could have made the focus himself. He could have made the focus all himself. But yet, it was just before his execution on that horrible, grisly cross that Jesus gathered his disciples around him and he stripped from the waist up took a basin of water. And while he must have been struggling with those emotions of what his body and his spirit and his, his emotions must have been experiencing, he took that basin of water and he served. He washed his disciples' feet. He humbled himself the creator of the universe. Read the scriptures. It was Jesus that created the universe. Read Colossians. Jesus created the universe. That's what the Colossians says. But yet, the creator of all the universe humbled himself by taking on the form of a stinky human 
that would be bad enough. But then he goes a step further and then he serves the humans that he's made and he goes a step further and he allows those humans, those sinful humans to nail him to a cross so that he could redeem the very ones who spat in his face, punched him in the face as his eyes were covered and said, prophesy who hit you. As he hung there on the cross, the very ones that he's dying for says, if you're really the son of God, come down from there, prove it. And in an act of humility, he says, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. That's the humility of Jesus. And that's why I love the emphasis of Brent's teaching this morning that Jesus is our example of humility. Amen. Brent, thank you again for your faithful work, brother. I appreciate what you've done. Stand with me and let's pray for a moment. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.